Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at MOF PHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that He will transform your life. What a joy it is for me to be back in Mount Olive this morning. I'm not like Pastor Hans. I've been here before. You don't have to give me any pickles. Amen? We've already, we've already worshipped in this wonderful uh, place with you in the past, and I'm deeply honored to be a part of the revival you've been experiencing all week long. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to come on this Sunday morning. And uh, I welcome visiting uh, friends and ministry and leadership in the conference that are here and every one of you that are a part of this great church. Mount Olive Pentecostal, the first Pentecostal Holiness Church, uh, you're, you're in the top 15 once again in total world missions giving in the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. Now, I guess I need to tell you how many churches there are if there was only you know, 15, you, it'd still be noteworthy, but uh, we have over 1,650 churches, and you're in the top 15. Amen. Thank you for your heart for, uh, for the world as well as all you're doing here in the community. Thank the Lord for the ministry of song and all that has brought us to this place, and now I want us to look to the word of the Lord. I'm going to read today from Hebrews chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me. And I want to start reading in verse 32. Hebrews 11 and verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yet moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and coatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. I draw your attention to two words found in this text and others. And I want to ask you a question this Sunday morning. What about the others? 
Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing and his anointing to his word this morning. Amen. What about the others? If I asked you what is Hebrews chapter 11, when I just mentioned that, some of you automatically thought and recognized this is what chapter in the Bible? It's the faith chapter in the Bible. Faith is defined. Faith is emphasized. Almost every verse in the chapter is talking about faith explicitly. It says, by faith, something happened. So we know that Hebrews 11 is uh, the faith chapter, but we really need to, to, to be certain we know why it was written and why it finds its place in this particular letter. I've always had a, a fascination with Hebrews, uh, the, the book, the letter. For one thing, we don't know exactly who wrote it. And for a book to make it into the New Testament, it had to be three criteria. It had to be written by an apostle or a close apostle. It had to be written early in the first century. It had to be in harmony with all of the other books that had been written, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament books that had been written and would be written after this letter. And so if we're not sure how, who, who wrote it, how could it you know, make it into the New Testament? And the answer is because it met the criteria in an overwhelming way in regard to being so harmonious with the rest of all of Holy Scripture. We don't know who wrote it. <clears throat> I remember being, uh, when I taught at the Bible college back in Oklahoma uh, for 15 years on the full-time faculty, I taught a class frequently. It came around every other year or so just on this letter to the Hebrews. And uh, we had one group. I, I divided the class into two groups, and one of them did a special project at the end of the year, they were a creative group and they, they took their, their uh, a video camera and they went around and they interviewed the different Bible professors on campus and they asked them, who do you think wrote Hebrews? And so they went to uh, uh, President Bob Ely at that time, okay? And Bob Ely answered back and said, well, I think the Apostle Paul wrote it. And then they would go to a second one. They had all this uh, spice together on the video Nobody knew what the other one had said. And the second professor would say, well, I don't know for sure who wrote it, but one thing we know, it couldn't have been Paul, okay, that wrote it. And so you just had this going back and forth all the way through. And I thought after I saw that, no wonder these, these students are so confused. Uh, the faculty don't, don't even know, right, that's happening here. But they reached a wonderful conclusion. I think only God knows. Only God knows who wrote uh, Hebrews, but one thing we can be sure, we're only talking about the human authorship. We know about the divine authorship. We believe that holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so the, this great inspired text not only intrigues me because of who wrote it, but also who was the intended audience and what's the real, you know, um, purpose of the whole letter? And evidently, there's some debate and discussion about that, but evidently most scholars have come to the conclusion it's written to people who were, they were Jewish by ethnicity, but they have come to believe on Christ. 
The, it's primarily written to Jewish Christians. That's why there's a lot of allusions to the Old Testament in this letter. And so it is written to Jewish Christians that evidently some of them, wherever it's sent to, are contemplating leaving Christianity, leaving Christ, and going back to Judaism. And all the way through this letter, you have the writer saying, you can't go back. You cannot go back to where you were before. And the reason the writer says you can't go back is because Jesus is greater. He's greater. And so he starts out, he's greater than the angels. He's greater than creation. He's greater than Moses that brought you out. He's greater than Joshua that brought you in. You can't go back because if you go back, you're leaving the greater for the lesser. And so I want you to keep that in mind when you read Hebrews and you listen to this message this morning. The writer is trying to exhort people, hey, you can't go back to where you were in the world. You can't go back to another religion. If you do, you're leaving Christ. And so what does that have to do with chapter 11? Well, we come to chapter 11 and the writer starts talking about faith. This is not just the writer just out of the clear blue exploring a new subject that he hasn't been talking about. No, on the contrary, it is the theme really of the whole book. The writer saying you've got to be faithful. And so this word pistis in the Greek that where we get the word faith, it can be translated faith or faithfulness. Anytime you see the word faith in this chapter... You could read it and say faithful or faithfulness and it would mean exactly the same. We are told in verse 1 that uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We're told in the next couple of verses that by faith we understand that God made the worlds. He made everything out of nothing. And then in verse 4 we start seeing all these different examples the writer gives of people in the Old Testament that did exploits for him and they all did it with this common ingredient. They did it by faith, that is, or by their faithfulness. So I I just want to, uh, as it were, take you on this journey with me. Uh, Some people have, through the years, called Hebrews 11 the, the hall of faith, right? Have you heard that? Uh, terminology like a great hall of fame or a great museum. And so I challenge you to go with me. You have to use your imagination. Everybody read the Bible with an imagination. Make sure it's sanctified imagination. But when you do, the whole Bible comes alive. So I I picture us uh, as a church at First uh, Pentecostal Holiness, Mount Olive, going on a tour through heaven's hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And I know our group's too big today for everybody to stay together, but we would get in little groups of 10 or 12, and there would be a guide, but you walk in, and it's just like a museum. You see pictures of portraits all along the walls, and and as you walk through, you, you recognize a lot of these people. The very first one is Abel, said by faith, Abel. And it told about how he worshiped God and obtained righteousness. And, and then there's a portrait by faith, Enoch. He walked with God. He was not. God took him, right? By faith, Noah, we recognize him. He moved with fear to the saving of his house. 
And so just as we go up and down each of the walls, one portrait after another, a testimony of the great heroes of the faith, how they did it, what they did it, they all did it with their faithfulness to God. And then somebody always wanders ahead. There'd be somebody in this group that would, right? And you'd turn around and say, hey, look up here and come and look at this one. And there's a whole section that's given to Abraham. When you think about faith, wouldn't you agree you'd expect to find Abraham in this great museum? By faith, Abraham went out, the caption says, under his portrait, he went out not knowing where that he went. By faith, he looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Here's another portrait in that wing. By faith, he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. And then Sarah is pictured right there in the middle of Abraham. By faith, she received strength, the ability to have a child even in her older age. Wow, and we could just spend a lot of time looking there. There's by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph. They're all in there in the hall of faith. I, are you enjoying this trip as much as I am? I'm, I'm having a good time, but I'm not sure. Ever. Okay, so all of a sudden somebody says, hey, Moses is in here. And, and we catch a, a little wind and we walk up there and there's, there's, there's Moses. I, I knew he'd be in this, this great collection of the giants of the faith. By faith, Moses, when he came to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. By faith, Moses, uh, he, he, he observed the Passover and, and he and those with them, they were saved. And then the writer all of a sudden, instead of just highlighting one person, begins to talk about the nation, he said, by faith, they crossed the Red Sea. There's a whole exhibit about that. That's not just one person. That's as many as three million people by faith. Through their faithfulness, they crossed the Red Sea. Wow. And then the very next one said, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down. That's another group project. That's another army. That's a, another contingency. And then the writer thought of, well, there was Rahab. I didn't mention Rahab. So it goes back and brings us back to an individual. You've got to put this lady in there by faith, Rahab. And that brings us down to verse 32, which is where I started reading in the text. And uh, this verse has always just, um, it always makes me smile when I get there because the writer said, and time would fail me to tell you about these. And so starts talking about uh, Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and Samson and David and Samuel. And when I get to this part, it reminds me of a pastor or a preacher that, uh, you know, announces to the crowd on Sunday morning, they've got a five-point outline, but they spend so much time on point one, they they look at the clock and see what time it is, and they say, oh, here, let me just give you these other points, right? Let me just throw in these other points. Because David, the writer threw in King David with Barak and Jephthah. Am I the only one that just wonder about that? David's just one. That used to bother me, and I wondered about that, but then I thought, no, the writer is writing under the inspiration of the Scripture, knows what the intent is, and maybe the writer is showing us that not just leaders and kings 
And great people need to have faith and to be faithful to God, but average ordinary people. That's whose portraits are made up in this great hall. And so the writer mentions these six people, Barak and Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, and then said, and then the prophets, okay, realizes we're running out of room and space. We've got we've to zero in. And so there's a big section. It looks like we're at the end of our tour at the museum in the Hall of Faith. And this section, he called them the prophets, but wow, what a victorious group this was. He said they obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of lions. That sounds like Daniel. They quenched the violence of fire. That sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and and Abednego. This group won battle after battle, victory after victory. They didn't have a spot or a scratch or a scar or a stain on them. You look at them and wow, these are triumphant, victorious warriors. And then we're just about done with the tour and we turn to leave. But one of you... Really looking intently, you see a little sign and a little corridor leading down the hallway, and it says, and others. You say, I wonder where this path leads, because a lot of people don't even ever go and look at this path. But you invite the rest of us to follow, and we walk down just a short hallway, and there's a whole other exhibit, and others. And instead of this group, they, were, they don't appear to be as fortunate as the first group. They, um, they, were, they were put to death. They were tortured. These are the martyrs, these that have died in the faith. And then, and others, they, uh, they were made destitute. They, uh, they were beaten. They were stoned. They were sawed asunder. They were made to travel. They... They did have spots and scratches and scars and stains upon them. And I look at that group and you look at that group and we say, what is that group doing in this hall of faith? What is that group doing in with this group that we just came back? And you know what? I think the Lord is saying something to us that everybody under the sound of my voice needs to hear today. The Bible declaration is true. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord knows how to deliver them out of them all. Amen? And so here's what this lesson is telling us. At the end of Hebrews 11, God is signaling and saying there are some people he keeps out of suffering, and there are some people that, that he, he allows them to go into suffering, but then he delivers them from suffering. But there's other people, he allows them to go through suffering. And so the message is very clear. God won't abandon you. He will take you out of it or he'll take you through it. But either way, you can find a place in God's glorious hall of faith if you're faithful even unto him. Amen? I guess my question is, what about the others? I don't hear a lot about the others. I'm talking about what about those that don't get a miracle? What about those that don't get healed? What about those that, that don't have a deliverance? What about those that, that don't have a dramatic experience? What about those nobody prophesies over? What about those that are neglected and forgotten? What about those that it doesn't happen? Are they, are they excluded? 
Now the writer's telling us something here. Remember the others. He said they're in the same hall of faith. And he said of this last group, of whom the world was not worthy. God will take you out or he will take you through, but it's all for his glory. Amen. Amen. Think about this with me. This isn't, this isn't the, the wing of the hall that any of us would choose. This isn't what, you know, we would uh, strive for. But sometimes the Lord has suffering saints. And sometimes the Lord allows them to become vessels for, where he can work his will in a higher way than what we could even imagine. And there's all kinds of portraits I could point out in, uh, you know, of, of even people in our lifetime and our day and in, and in history whose portraits I think are included in this and others. Has anybody heard of Dave Reaver? Anybody remember Dave Reaver? Half his face was blown off in Vietnam, you know, way back in that war. And he's, he's ministered, you know, all over the country. Dave is still alive, I understand. About age 75, has a ministry going in Colorado. If you looked at the man, if you can't, and I've met him up close and personal, some of you have, and you can't hardly look at him too long without turning away. Um, but he's borne the scars of that tragedy for half a century now and more of his life. But I tell you what, it's opened 10,000 doors for him of ministry around this world to minister to the earth. Anybody heard of David Ring? You know of David Ring with cerebral palsy? Did I read that they, after he was born, they thought he died and he, he laid over on just, you know, 18 minutes and somebody finally noticed he was alive? Born with cerebral palsy, but Dave is still going at age 68 and he still has a ministry all around this world. Johnny Erickson Tata, anybody know of Johnny? Johnny was, uh, uh, became a paraplegic in a diving accident as a teenager. And uh, that was uh, a half a century ago. She's now right at 70 years old, still has a radio program, uh, still is a great theologian, still uh, has ministered valiant, valiantly. She has been, she's been confined to a wheelchair for 50 years. Can you imagine? But she said to, to more than one occasion, she said, don't ask God to take this chair away from me. She said, this chair is my pulpit. This chair has allowed me to tell people about Jesus and to testify of his goodness and grace. She also says when she gets to heaven, she wants, she's going to dance with that chair. Can you just imagine that and rejoice that God has separated it from her forever and forever? Fanny J. Crosby, anybody remember her, the great hymn writer of the church? She was blind almost at birth, lived to be 90, never did get her healing in this world. Um, but she saw things that people with sight have never seen. She wrote, blessed assurance, to God be the glory. Praise him, praise him. Jesus keep me near the cross. Over 6,000 songs. And she said on more than one occasion, she said, don't feel sorry for me. The first thing my eyes will ever see when they open up is the face of Jesus. I'm just asking you, don't forget the others. Don't forget 
the others. There's a, there's a place the others have in God's great hall of faith. And some of us, some of you may be called upon to have your portrait hung in that place. I'm telling you, you can do it if you'll hold on to God and trust and believe in him. You say, is there anybody from the scripture that's in that, that hall of faith? I, I, I think so. I think, remember that story of the rich man and Lazarus? I think Lazarus pictures in, in this other's section of the gallery. His body was full of sores. His only friend were dogs that came by to lick his bones. He had to beg for crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. But when the rich man died, he went to hell. But when Lazarus died, angels came and escorted him back to heaven. I'm telling you, faithfulness will will get the smile of God upon you. I think people like Mary and Martha are in this hall of faith. You say, they had faith. I believe they did. They sent word for Jesus when their brother Lazarus was sick. Jesus did an unusual thing. From our vantage point, he didn't do anything. How many of you know he could have went immediately and healed Lazarus? He didn't even have to go. He could have just spoke the word. He'd given divine indication, but instead he waited a couple of days deliberately, intentionally, and what happened? He um, gets word Lazarus has died. Jesus said, now let's go. And when he arrived, Martha goes out to meet him, and she said, Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. That sounds like doubt to me, doesn't it? You could have done something, but you're not here. But, but on the other hand, I hear faith. She said, Lord. She's still calling him Lord. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. But even now, we believe God will do what we ask him. Jesus said, your brother's going to live again. She said, I know he'll live at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When he goes into the house, Mary said the same thing to Martha. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Where have you laid him? Took him to the sepulcher. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, but among the more precious ones ever increasingly in my own life. If Jesus really is the same yesterday, today, and forever that this book of Hebrews says that he is, that means if he wept with Mary and Martha and that family... All these families the pastor mentioned in the prayer request, he's weeping right along with, with you today. But he did more than just weep. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and the one that was dead lived again. I think Paul's portrait might be all over this museum. It would be in a lot of the sections because miraculous things happened to Paul, supernatural ministry. We can see that in the book of Acts. We see it in, in a lot of the writings. But there's also a portrait where he was beset with a thorn in the flesh. You remember that? He sought for deliverance. It did not come. He prayed twice. He prayed three times. And finally a voice came back and said, My grace is sufficient for you. God in essence said, I'm not going to take the thorn away, but I'm going to wrap it up in my grace. I'm going to give you a gift of grace. You say, well, how about somebody from the Old Testament? I think Job... I think Job's portrait would be in this other section. Don't you? Here was a man, you, you, you know, people say, well, why did Job have so many doubts and different things? You've got to remember something, people. Job had never read the book of Job. 
When we read it, we learn right in chapter 1 that God and the devil have made a deal involving him. Job never read that. The book hadn't made He's living this out in real time. You know the story. The devil said he, he's only serving you because of what you can do for him. And uh, if you take it away, he'll curse you. And God said, no, he won't. And they said, let's see. And it happened. The Lord took everything away from Job. He allowed the devil to. Took his health, took his wealth, his children died, everything. He lost it all except his wife. And she wasn't much comfort, was she? She said, you ought to just curse him and die. And I, I, you know what? I have to apologize to Mrs. Job. Have you ever had to apologize to a woman you never met that lived over 4,000 years ago? You know, I had to apologize to her because... I used to say many times when I was teaching about Job and preaching, I would stop and I would say, if it would have been me, I'd have said, Lord, you took everything else. (laughs) Couldn't you go ahead and take her too? (laughs) Amen? You've never thought about that? You know why I had to apologize to Mrs. Job, though? When she said, you ought to curse God and die. I've never been in Mrs. Job's shoes. She had a funeral she went to with ten caskets. And she had a child in every one of them. I'm talking about people hurting and dealing with things like we're dealing with as well. But Job never, never sinned. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord took away but I'm going to bless his holy name and God never did tell Job why he why he did that I think his portrait's in that that place as well let me give you three quick examples from the scripture and I'm done to illustrate what I'm trying to say in this message all my life all my life I've, I've seen this phenomenon in the church that two people Seemingly at the same place spiritually along the journey. Go through the same thing. But many times one of them is healed and the other one is not. Have you seen that? Have you been in the church long enough? One of them's delivered and the other one isn't. A miracle seemingly or a supernatural thing happens in one. The other one, it, it doesn't happen. I've looked at that phenomenon my whole life. And it's easy to say, well, the one that didn't have, have the experience happened. They didn't have enough faith. But this writer's telling us, oh, no, the others, they, they're in the hall of faith. Their faithfulness cannot be questioned. Here's the three. Two of them involve Peter, Peter and John. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus looks at these two Friends, two fishermen, two disciples, great foundations of the early church. And the Lord told Peter he was going to have to die for the faith. He said, Peter, that's how you're going to go out. You're going to go out by being put to death. And that was the end of the conversation. And Peter said to the Lord what some of you would have said if you'd have been standing there by your best friend. And the Lord just told you that. You know what Peter said? What about him? But Jesus didn't say anything to John. He said, Peter, if I will that 
that he tarry until I come back again. What is that to you? In other words, if I let John live all the way to the second coming, that's not your business. He said, you take care of you, Peter. I'll take care of John. So in that, in that story, Peter was one of the others. But there came a time when you get to Acts chapter 12, Peter and James are both in prison, and Herod is now getting vicious on the throne, and he summons for James, and James is put to death. But Peter, they have a prayer meeting going on with the church, and Peter is released from prison by an angel. You read that? I don't understand why one lived and one died. But I do believe it's some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but it's all through the blood. I really believe that. Brother Kevin, come and give these people hope, all right, that I'm finished. They're pretty confident because they know we got a second service. But some of them might be wondering, this evangelist, he doesn't know, you know, and I don't know how long he's planning on going. Okay, I know this is an unusual message. It's, it's not one that I have ever preached exactly like this, but this is what, when the burden that came to my heart when the invitation came. Now, the last example I want to give of two men and one taken, one left behind in these categories is the two great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Anybody surprised that they were not mentioned explicitly in Hebrews 11? It wasn't an oversight. The writer's telling us just ran out of time and space. Have you studied about Elijah and Elisha? Some of the preachers in this revival, they, they may have preached about it. The scriptures are filled with their ministry. When they served on the earth, it was one of the most miracle-laden times. It was an epoch, a season where the supernatural was happening. You remember Elijah called Elisha to take his place. Elisha faithfully followed him for the better part of eight years. And then when Elijah went home to glory, Elisha saw him go. And he picked up Elijah's mantle and he went back to the river and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smote the waters and he walked across on dry land. Am I telling it right? That's what happened. Elijah and Elisha. He got a double portion. And some have calculated the number of miracles that took place that Elisha, God used him to perform twice as many miracles as Elijah. Double. This is proof of this double portion. But if you don't believe what I'm saying about the inequities of uh, life look at these two men and contrast how they left the world how did Elijah go he went in a fiery chariot or there were chariots of fire dancing across the sky and the Lord sent a whirlwind down and he was just taken up and you talk about not having a difficult death he didn't have a death at all he didn't die he's still living but what about Elisha the miracle man. What happened to Elisha? Elisha, we're told in 2 Kings 13 and in verse 14 that he got sick. And he, he died of the sickness that he acquired. The miracle man. 
Somebody said more specific miracles happened under his ministry than anyone in the Bible except for Jesus. But how did he go out? He died from some sickness. Now, there are some people that have taught and believed. I think it's erroneous that everyone is just those that have super faith just die of natural causes, you know, and anything else that you die from is premature. I don't believe that. I believe that sickness is a result of the fall and the curse. And there's a lot of different things that take out people out into eternity, both saints and sinners. But Elisha died. What do you do when God doesn't do it for you? What do you do when he doesn't give the miracle this time? When he doesn't answer the prayer? When he doesn't do the supernatural? What about the others? Elisha. Well, in that story, what I exhort you to do is keep on reading. It's not quite over. Some people stop reading too soon. But we're told just a few verses down after Elisha died that When the beginning of the new year came, the men of Israel, they were out and they were preparing to bury someone and the enemies began to invade. And so they threw a man that they were getting ready to bury, a dead man, onto the bones of Elisha. And that man came back to life. Woo! Elisha didn't come back to life, but that man, they threw it on the bones of Elisha. He came back to life. Evidently, his ministry wasn't over. Evidently, Elisha's ministry was going to outlive his own life. Evidently, there was a reason that God had for him to die when he died. I'll leave you with this morning. I heard a, um, a message from a pastor of uh, an independent church just a few years old. It's kind of a mega church now, J.J. Vasquez in Florida. And he was talking along these lines about if God doesn't do it for you. And the babe in the womb had a particular disorder, a disease, a defect, the doctor said, he's going to be, you can carry him to term if you wanted, but the baby's not going to live. Baby's going to die. They said, what's the chance? And they said, it's less than 1%. It's zero point this number, this number, this number, this number. The doctor even encouraged them to terminate the pregnancy, to abort the child. But they were people of faith. They said, no, if there's any chance at all we're we're choosing life we're going to believe God they had to go in for appointments every week and every week it was the same diagnosis no chance your baby's going to die your baby's going to die and so it happened finally nine months and his wife gives birth the little boy the little baby he was born without both lungs didn't have lungs couldn't breathe hooked up to a ventilator for three hours to allow some of the family to come in and to see him, for them to pray together and have a a precious time. 
And this pastor's talking at the end of the, that particular sermon, and he said, I, I held, we, we disconnected the vent, ventilator, and he said, I held my little boy in my arms. He said, for three hours, without any lungs, he was fighting for life. He was fighting for life. He was fighting for life. And he said, that's where he was when he died. He just died right there in my arms. Shortly after that, they started this church in Orlando, and now it's a growing, thriving church. And he, he testified. He told that story in one setting. And he said he got an email response from a woman back a few months later. And here's what she said. She said, I, I have five children, five boys, four different daddies, the first four. And she said, I do not know who the father is to the fifth one. She said, I was planning on aborting this fifth child and not even having this baby, but I heard your story. And she said, I have to tell you, I decided I'm going to let my baby live. And here's what she said. She said, Pastor, your baby died so my baby could live. Your child died so mine could live. Wow. And he said, that, that is an indication God was telling us why we got to have why why we went through that particular suffering he said sometimes and he's right we don't God doesn't tell us we don't get the answer for that I didn't tell you they they asked him at one point one of the nurses on one of those visits a few months into it they said what's what's the baby's name the nurse said this is quite a journey you all are on and he said that's it our boy's name is Journey they started that church shortly after the baby was born guess what the name of the church is it's Journey Church now there's a whole church a growing thriving church in Orlando Florida are you hearing what I'm saying this morning God oh he still does magnificent marvelous glorious grand things and he still does it and he still can do it but if he doesn't do it That doesn't mean you're not in the hall of faith. My brother, my sister, the only way you can be in the hall of faith, just be faithful to God. Whatever happens, whatever comes the way, and you can have a place in that special hall. Amen. Stand to your feet with me. Right where you're standing, can you worship the Lord? Just right out of your heart. Thank Him for His Word. Oh, Lord, I thank You for the Holy Spirit, the preciousness of your spirit right now touching the hearts of people in this place Lord we've been in revival all week you've done things, marvelous things around this altar I am sure I know people have been saved and filled and healed God you're still at work but if there's anybody under the sound of my voice saying what about me why hasn't he answered my prayer why hasn't he done this for me I want to tell you something. He remembers the others. He knows right where you are. He knows right where you're going through. And you're not alone. Amen. Amen. Could we sing something, Brother Kevin, to softly? If you're here, if you're in this place this morning, the whole time I've been preaching, this unusual message, God's signaling, it's you. It's you. He 
he's talking to you today I want you to step out come right up here to the altar I want you to know something God will take you out or he'll take you through you won't have to ask him for suffering you won't have to volunteer for this assignment he'll just come to where you are amen